Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. We might just be in France, but this is global. These players are icons, their stories are noble. In fact, each story into the game is golden. It's way more than just a game. It's a player's story into the pitch and all that she overcame. It's football 2019 and this is its brand new face. Football Inside Out by Copper 90. Whoa, whoa, whoa. That was nice. I'm Heath. I'm Monkey. And this is Football Inside Out, a podcast from Copa 90. We're coming to you every day from the Copa 90 Clubhouse in Paris, bringing you all the excitement from the 2019 Women's World Cup in France. And here is what we've got for you today. Norwegian pioneer Hega Riesa tells us about her career. Ellie with the inside score today is everything you really need to know about Germany. But first of all, we've got a little recap from last night's matches and the five things you need to know about going into today. Football Inside Out by Copper 90. Number one, egos galore on the U.S. women's national team. Blimey, what a game. We said we liked goals, but I don't know. I felt a bit uncomfortable after like the seventh goal. I feel bad saying I like a hard-fought draw, like defensive (laughs) battle. Uh, 13-0. Yep, a lot of records broken though. The highest uh, scoring game in World Cup history for the women's game and the fastest four consecutive goals scored in World Cup history as well. That's ridiculous. You could yep. tell that they knew it, though, because when they hit 12, they sort of just started passing around the back a little bit. Also, uh, the States have never lost a game that Alex Morgan has scored in. And she's scored... I, I know there was a lot of goals to remember, but she had a few bangers. She had a few crackers, man. Yeah. They, weren't, they weren't like... I don't think anyone's tattins. saving some of those. Like no. that left foot one yeah. was, was really nice. But I'm worried about that because I don't like that kind of win to open up a tournament. No matter how professional you are, you can't help but feel better about yourself. And it's hard to reset from that. So let's see how they go. That wasn't a test. So we'll see how they go in their next game against Sweden. Is it Sweden? Chile. Chile. Oh, okay. But Sweden played Chile today. Yeah. And it was 2 0. Yeah. Viking god, Viking uh, Norse god, uh, Thor. Thor. Brought a little thunder because Sweden couldn't seem to get it together in uh, most of the match. Called the game off for a bit. Yeah, that was a great sound. That was my thunder. I like that. It scared me. Uh, And then brought uh, goals, two goals to finish off the match. Yeah, you literally walked out and they scored two and you walked back in. You were like, what just happened? No, I walked out, got rained on. 
grabbed food real quick because I thought it wasn't going to start again. Came back and it was 2-0. I was like, you missed. You missed two. Yeah, you showed up right at the right time. So Number three. Exciting uh, game. Netherlands versus New Zealand. Probably the best game in the tournament so far, even though it was only 1-0. By far. Competitive both ways. It could have gone either way. New Zealand actually had their chances. They look like a really good team. Yeah, they do. I've, I really wanted them to at least get a point out of their game. Um, unfortunately, they didn't. They had a couple really, really good chances, especially from far out as well. Some two cracking efforts. Yeah, off the um, But yeah, Chile. Oh, sorry. The Netherlands seemed nicked it in the 92nd minute as well. Yeah. Number four. We've got a watch party here at the clubhouse where we do our podcast every single day tomorrow or today. Sorry. Today. At 9 p.m. for the France... Versus Norway game. Yes. Huge game. Huge game. Huge game. And we've got a huge crowd coming. So if you are in Paris, make sure you come in early. Join us. We've got free beer. Free beer, guys. Yeah. What else do you need? Um, yeah. And going into the day, apart from uh, the France-Norway game, we've also got Nigeria versus Korea Republic and Germany versus Spain. Real quick, give me your predictions for those. Um, I'm going to say... Oh, God, the Nigeria-Korea Republic game's going to be a difficult one. I'm going to say Nigeria 2-1, Germany versus Spain... I'm going to go for another 2-1. Germany 2-1. Yeah. I'm going with Korea on this one. Uh, Nigeria looked a little bit shambles as soon as they were up against the ropes a little bit. And then Germany, I think we're going to see a more mature Germany in this one and they're going to continue to get better through the tournament. I'd just like to see a bit of an upset with Korea. Not that I don't like Korea. It's a great country. Just haven't had much upset at this tournament so far. Fair enough. Football Inside Out by Copper 90. So that's what you need to know about today. Exciting stuff. How you doing, Heath? How you doing about um, after being locked in the uh, Copa 90 clubhouse last yeah, night? Yeah, let's talk about that, actually. Yeah. I'm okay, fortunately. You, yeah. But it was a lesson learned in locking people into buildings because, God forbid, something actually happens when you're locked in somewhere, like a fire. It was a example. health and safety lesson. Yeah. Basically, we all um, were here last night recording the last bit of the podcast, and then half of us went upstairs, and I said... Oh, do you mind? Do you mind just letting us out? And so, he was like, oh, the keys downstairs. Okay, went downstairs, got the keys, went upstairs to lock the door, and lo and behold, we had somebody's house keys and not the keys to yeah. get out. So there was a whole team locked in the Copper Ninety Clubhouse. I think they just wanted right. to, us to make content. Yeah. So today's games, what are we thinking? Nigeria, Korea, Germany, Spain, France, Norway. France yeah. are back. Nigeria, Korea is, is a toss-up for me. I think Korea's got this one. Uh, Spain looks solid. Germany actually, obviously, yeah, they, they they were able to pull off a result in their first match, but... Not very convincing. Not though. very convincing. Yeah. But again, th this is a veteran team in terms of experience. Even if it's not necessarily veteran players, it's still a team that has been in major tournaments before. And there's such an, an art form to managing tournaments. Mm. First match versus second match, how you balance the roster, the changes you need to make gradually getting better, right? You want to be trending in the right direction, not peaking at the start of a tournament necessarily because yeah. it is a lot of matches to get to a final. And then France-Norway, that's a match. That's a match, yeah. yeah. That's a big match. I think that's going to be a really interesting one. Yeah. Because like we said, France already weren't contested in their opening game against Korea. Yeah. So this is going to be the first time that they really are. Yeah. France looked good, but again, untested. Yeah. But it'll be interesting to see how kind of Norway comes out. I can't get it out of my mind. And I know this is, um, what was the Norwegian kid that made the comment about Ada Hegeberg recently uh, saying she was taking negative, oh, like, taking the attention away. From women's football. Yeah. yeah. And I, I don't think that's the case, but I still can't get it out of my mind that the best player in the world has passed on playing. playing. Yeah. I mean, it always comes back to that, yeah. I guess. 
It's hard, isn't it? Because that's like the obvious topic to talk about. Right. But, but it's because it is so interesting. Yeah. Because she's not only because she's standing up for something, but also because herself, she is the best she's ever played, right. obviously. And she still took it upon herself to be like, no, I do not want to play on the biggest in the biggest tournament in the world. Right. Which is kind of like she on that must mean she really 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 believes in what she's standing up for. Well, it was like Ali Riley said, I don't know anyone who would pass on an opportunity to go to a World Cup. Yeah. Yet there's an example of somebody who's passed on an opportunity to go to a World Cup. But it's hard because I don't want the narrative to be Norway did well despite not having the best player in the world, but yeah. that will be the narrative, right? Even yeah. if they go on to win something, it'll still be they did it without the best player in the world. Or if they fail, they'll fail because imagine what they could have done with the best player in the world on their squad, yeah. which, which sucks because you don't necessarily want to measure it to that, but we don't make the rules. Yeah, I wonder how like the rest of the team as well are feeling about her decision. I actually have no idea. It's just, just that sort of like, I, I wonder what the vibe is. Well, what do you think, what do you, think uh, you would feel within a team that you've lost, obviously, a bit of your firepower and probably the number one question around the camp from mm. media and journalists is that sort of, can you do it without this person? Like it's a, it's, it's a lingering thing that you have to constantly fight against. And maybe internally they're not talking about it. They're just getting on with business, but it does sort of continue to loom as they work their way through the group stages. Yeah, I guess, I guess personally I would be like, I would respect that person's decision. I'd be like, cool, that's your decision to make. Go for it. Um, as a player getting asked about it in the media all the time, you would expect it and you would answer the question up until a point. And then after you've like qualified the World Cup and you're in the World Cup and you're playing, after a while you would be just like, can you stop asking me the same question, please? Because it's already been answered. If you want the answer, just go read the other hundred articles that have asked me the same question. I can see how sort of harping on about the same sort of thing, mm. uh, which you're getting right now in the US with the, with the lawsuit against the US soccer, the women's national team, su- players union suing the U.S. Soccer Federation. It's this never-ending cycle, and that's sort of taken on the narrative within the team right now. And I don't know if in the locker room it's different. So have you ever been asked any, like, shitty questions from journalists? Definitely questions, especially when I was younger because they pry on sort of the less media-ready. Yeah. And and I would make – even in the national team, I'd, I'd make comments to the media about my injury situations, which they know are supposed to be handled, like, through official communications. And they right. would ask me – or, like, my mom had been interviewed talking about injuries and whatever – that would then published that released very sort of private information, right. In terms of like game day roster and, and, and health updates on the team, like things like that, where you sort of get pride on when you're younger, never really like bad questions. I did have one time where I played central midfield. It was one of the few times that I played it when I was playing with the Red Bulls and the journalist just absolutely murdered me, you know, like (laughs) put out this like, Keith at fault basically for the whole team's performance. Oh, we just shit. got crushed. And, and then like two days later he was at the pitch, uh, after training, trying to have a word with me. And I- I've joked with him since then. Cause he said it was a real lesson in learning that like, you can't you, the media themselves also, if you're going to be, cause he was the beat, he was the beat reporter at <laughs> the team. So he was there all week long. Right. So you can't go and blast somebody and expect they're going to come and give you an interview a few yeah. days later. And he did that. And I stopped talking to him for a long, long time. Was he young or something? Was he was he young. young. Right, yeah. Okay. And him and I have joked about it since because he's still around. And 
and he said it was a learning lesson for him that you you, you sort of have to tread a lot lighter with, especially when you're the beat reporter because you're sort of the unofficial official reporter. So right. that is the team you talk about all the time. I mean, isn't that just common sense? Like you can't slag someone off and then be like, hey, mate, do you want to yeah. just like hang out for a bit? Yeah, we, we joked about it in the locker room for quite a while because that kind of stuff gets printed and put on the wall because people think it's funny. You know, right, it's, like right, a, right. it's like a funny thing that people don't want to let go. And I was just sort of playing in a position that one of my close friends was injured and I just stepped into that position to play the number six and I hadn't really done that much. Yeah, um, I played in goal once. That was a, a, a learning experience, not out of choice. I kind of, basically what happened, our goalkeeper was injured. So our, we only had one reserve keeper yeah. and in the warm up, she ended up breaking her finger Oof. quite badly, but still played the first half and then was just like, I cannot do the second half. So it all kind of stood like at half time like coaches kind of like figuring out what to do and I was just like look coach if you need someone to go step forward like I'll do it I'm not saying I'll be great at it but I'll give it a go and because no one else did he was like okay so I went in goal and I literally nearly got a red card in the first 20 seconds but she didn't score so but you just came out like two-footed oh, I, on someone no I so she was one-on-one keeper but she had a long way to run mm. and I had a long way to run outside the box and I was like I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna go for it so I just went for it I didn't like, I was one-footed but pretty sure I fouled it, yeah. <laughs> Did you get the ball? Uh, it was 50-50. And you know. weren't sent off? I wasn't sent off, no. Wow. So, yeah. That would have been rough, by the way, if you were sent off. Then who that would be the next rough. one to be like, yeah. clearly no one raised their hand when it was like, we need a goalkeeper. So yeah. imagine that where everybody's like, let's just take the loss. I really don't know what came over me. I was like, if I just set the president now, maybe they'll just be scared of me. Get so I, just, I went went for it and yeah. yeah but I didn't get sent off but they did score two goals against me I'm five foot one so like really down that much of a chance but we did win so it's fine I played goalkeeper till I was about 13 I would do a half and goal and half oh, really? half maybe not 13 maybe more like 11 12 but I'd play a half and goal and half on on the pitch love playing goalkeeper it's my favorite position really um yeah I used to go to goalkeeper camps oh, cool. I used to have on VHS like uh, 500 best saves or 101 best saves and I'd watch it over and over again cool I like, feel like I feel like um, goalkeeper drills now are getting way more interesting like right. if you watch them on Instagram and stuff the stuff that they do with like a wet uh, plastic yeah. sheet and like a tennis ball and stuff I'm like I kind of want to give, give that a go we used to play goalkeeper wars on a trampoline so like the big big trampolines <laughs> yeah. we put a like 6 by 8 goal yeah. on the back of it and then somebody would be able to like throw it. And the thing is, you could bounce all the time and you can get these like top corner saves, you know, these yeah, yeah, yeah. spectacular saves and then come down on something soft. But it was like a really fun, fun game. We used to play all kinds of different like football things on trampolines now that I think about it. Did you ever play like street football games when you were a kid? Like we have this one called, I think there's like different variations of it, but in the UK one is called Arse. Like the, like the keepy uppies game? No. Yes, yes. Where you... So, yeah. Like somebody bends over and you smash them with the ball. In the butt. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like if you drop the ball in, in the keepy-uppy game, then you, you get an A and then an S and then an S. And when you spell arse, they have to go up against the wall and everyone gets to kick a ball against them. Yeah. My very first day moving into <laughs> this football program, we played it that night and we had a new kid that had just come into the team, oh, no. into the national team, and they made him cry the first night. Oh, no. Yeah. He ended up being a good friend of mine for a long time, but like he cried the first night because he was sort of being bullied by the older, like more experienced national team guys. You know, because in that game, you can single somebody out and everybody just smashes it at them until they take a bad touch. Yeah. Get them their letters over and over again. They bend over on the wall and just get just pounded with the ball over and over again. Yeah. Back then there would have been like character building. Yeah. Character (laughs) building. Yeah. There was an unofficial uh, match that was just like more bullying than anything. Don't, what do you, you guys like, what's it called in the States? Hazing. 
hazing. Yeah. Big thing there. Yeah, not a thing in the UK. It's, it, it's being weeded out now, though. Yeah, I heard, yeah. yeah. It was in, like, in football clubs back in the day, but not in school teams, not yeah. really. Maybe in... Actually, no. I've never experienced it anyway, but I know plenty of my friends who played sports in, the, in America definitely went through it, and it was just, like, normal. Yeah, there was a lot of, like, head shaving carrying people's meal trays, sort of like earn your stripes type things when you sort of step into a college culture of mm. older people who have been through it also to sort of like, it humbles a lot of the cocky kids that come in, but it's obviously been taken way, way too far too many times that it's like, like people have died from hazing yeah, in the US. Yeah, and, and it's pretty much been banned now because young players are coming through, you know, it's happened. In, they used to do this in the NFL. Rookies in the NFL would have to carry pads for the older players and their helmets and all these types of things. And then, then big stars started coming through going like, no, You're right, I don't want yeah. to do it. And now it's, it's sort of like, it still exists, but it got out of hand where like rookies would have to take the linemen to dinner and it'd be like a 20 grand dinner <laughs> and they'd leave them with the bill, things like that. Yeah. And all that stuff still exists, but at least some of the violent stuff is, is, is. Did you have to any, do anything crazy? Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, at, at the school that I would have gone to, okay, well, we're going to create a hypothetical scenario okay. here, okay, because this, this didn't really happen. We had to, at the school that I, I should have gone to, this is what I've heard mm-hmm. happens. So you start the day in a house and you are presented in front of the team. I'll leave some key details out of what I have heard happens. Uh, and... There is, uh, they, they make you change into like underwear right? and then they put you outside with the other like rookies mm. and that underwear has icy hot on it. So like the, oh, like, the, the uh, what, what would it be called? Uh, like the stuff that burns. Like heat? You, yeah. Like the stuff you rub on your yeah, muscles yeah, for that yeah, instant yeah. heat. Like Tiger Bomb. Yeah. Tiger ish. Bomb, yeah. but inside of the underwear. So imagine when that starts to heat up because you don't know at first. Right. They, they leave you on top of, uh, str- I have to leave so much of this from what I heard happens. Uh, they leave you in your underwear at the top of this street and drive off and you have to run through the middle of the city. Basically you and, and your t- rookie teammates mm. in your underwear running down the road trying to catch a car because it's driven off. And it's down a street where it's like busy, like people sitting out on the terraces, watching, laughing, like cheering and whatever. And then like you had to also go to the waterfront and run around this fountain and sing I'm a little teacup in your <laughs> right, underwear. Right. Like it's just all these like weird random things. And then you, you finish the day having dinner from what I heard that you finish the day having dinner and, <laughs> and everybody has a good time. You have a laugh and you realize you've survived. You also get your head shaved. Uh, so all these really demoralizing things, but you get to have dinner with everyone at the end. Yeah. And... I don't from what I've heard. from what I from what I've heard it's not traumatizing okay. uh, for, uh, that one particularly wasn't traumatizing it, it is a scary day because it's a lot of unknowns but it it was you felt part of a team now because you knew that the people that were doing it to you had experienced it the year before and right. it's sort of like a tradition thing not a huge fan of obviously that's like a baseline of what I've heard happens in these types of things. Yeah. And it's obviously gotten a lot worse and, and things get banned all the time. And, and now with social media, you can't do any of that because someone's always going to have a phone or capture something. And that, that picture gets shared with their friends because they think it's funny. And then that gets like literally to the deans and then people get kicked out of schools and yeah. stuff because, you know, those get taken too far. And it's always hard when you're asking 18 to 22 year old males 
to make good decisions. Yeah, like, especially as a group when they're together, like yeah, as a group. I that just game like mentality. It's just like, yeah, let's, let's, let's do that. Sounds like a good idea. You know what would be cool? Yeah, exactly. But if you get them like on their own, yeah. usually like they're like, cool. But as soon as they get together, it's like, that'd be a great idea. That'd be yeah. a great idea. Amongst your peers is always the hardest thing to make logical decisions because you're trying to impress them, especially at that age. All right, let's get into our first interview with Hager Risa. Detours, dead ends and destinations. My name is Hege Risa and I played for Norway. I started early with the soccer ball. I played with the boys in my hometown, Mumuen, a small, small town with 800 people. After school, in the evening, in the morning, whenever I had the possibility. Do you remember where you were the first time you found out that you had been called up to the national team? I was uh, in training and the coach came and said that uh, I was called up for national team and I I was in shock. <laughs> I've always been a shy, uh, quiet uh, player and I, I was in shock. I didn't know if I wanted to go. I wasn't like uh, happy going, uh, this is my opportunity. It was more like, mm, do I dare to step out of my comfort zone? But it went well and yeah, it, the rest is history. <laughs> and what would you say has been the most surreal moment of your career so far? When we won the World Cup in 95. That was the best, best uh, opportunity and uh, it was a dream come true. Winning the World Cup, the Olympics and the Euros, uh, I feel blessed that I've been part of uh, this Norway team. Looking back, we had so much fun. It's not always the game that you remember, but the things between the games, the atmosphere, how you felt. Uh, how we felt as a group, how strong we looked and felt. It's more about the team chemistry and, and what we did to to win those games, to win those championships and to win World Cup. Football has taught me work uh, hard with the group, with the team, being social with the team, confident. Uh, in my way of playing, in my way of behaving. Uh, it taught me to look uh, the next step, not so much look back what we have done, but new things coming up, things that you can't do uh, anything with, just leave it and focus on what you can, can do. For this World Cup, who, who would you say is the team to watch out for? I think France will be great in a home uh, setting. But also England looks stronger and stronger for every year. And last World Cup, they had a good, uh, good uh, World Cup. And now it's uh, a few years later and their development has been great. All right. Who's the best player you've played with or against? Birgit Prince. Who is the one player you wanted to play against or with that you didn't have the chance to? Michelle Akers. Would you take a tap-in goal or a brilliant assist? Brilliant assist. How would you define your style of play in three words? Passionate, forward, attacking mind. Who's the best player in the world right now? I will say Alda Hegebar. She's coming after your crown as the as the best uh, Norwegian player <laughs> ever. So. Yeah. 
You yeah. shouldn't be giving you shouldn't be giving her more more confidence. <laughs> Who was the biggest influence on your career? My uh, coaches. What's the craziest thing that a fan has ever done or said to you? One fan after the World Cup wrote a Swedish dance song uh, to me in the in the text that fit me and not the song. Uh, did they? But did they make a song out of it eventually? Yeah, yeah. It, it oh. was a Swedish dance song, but he changed the text for uh, for uh, that song to fit my style of playing. <laughs> this is the last question. What's the one thing that people may not know about you that may shock them? I have a good sense of humor. <laughs> it's always the quiet ones you have to worry about. You know, <laughs> they're always the ones with the, the the best sense of humor or the darkest sense of humor. So, <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much, Hege, and uh, we will hopefully see you in Paris. Yeah. Thank All you. Right. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. So hey, Garisa there. You interviewed her. She mentioned something about what she's learned from um, being in the team environment. Yeah. Is there anything particular that you've learned from being in the team? Yeah, I, I think... It's actually one thing that I've learned differently now that I'm in more of an office environment is right. that being in a team, you learn to sort of deal with everyone because it's not like you can make changes, Yeah, right? So You're people all, management. Yeah. yeah, people management. You just learn that there's a bunch of different personalities. Yeah. And again, there's there's a wide age range. Mm -hmm. So you different walks of life, different backgrounds. There could be 15, 20 years between the oldest and the youngest players. You just learn that you sort of take the good with the bad and that you can't control everything. And yeah, that, that, that everyone's going to be themselves. And I think that has also been a struggle for me in the office environment mm -hmm. of, of sometimes feeling isolated when you're by yourself, as opposed to being constantly working in groups on a day-to-day -day basis versus now someone gives you a project, you got to work on it by yourself for a while yeah. versus having constant tools at your disposal to, to problem solve. Yeah. That, I think, that, that's something I learned too. I think, um, 
as I've got older, just as a person and as a player as well, what I think I've taken away most out of being in a team environment is knowing that people work differently. Like some people respond to you being harsh on them. Some people don't respond from you giving them any criticism at all and you have to try and talk to them and tackle it in a different way. Uh, some people respond just by like saying saying some, something to them in front of people or some people you have to take to a side yeah. and be like, maybe we should try this, maybe we should try this. Like some people will get quite like offensive even yeah. when you're trying to like give help them out, do you know right. what I mean? So you have to like talk to them in a, in a different way to, to other people. And when you're working in a team, you really recognise those sort of pe- different people and different characters, I think. Well, that's why the best coaches or managers in the world now are the best ego managers, right? Yeah, so yeah. it's important that all of us are treated the same on the surface. None of us are treated differently. But then you have to know that when you got to pull someone into your office, sometimes they need a kick in the ass and sometimes they need yeah. a hug. And knowing how each player operates is how you get the most out of them, right? Building their parameters and then allowing them to sort of flourish within those parameters is important And knowing that each one of us is going to be different. What I'm worried about now is this next generation, right? It's an extremely high anxiety, yeah. uh, not insecure in any different way, but just very sensitive generation, right? So yeah. you're starting to see a lot of pushback or a lot of kids now are freezing up on on criticism and you have a lot of people with that old school mentality still of like sort of like i don't know the right way to explain it but just like trial and error or like pushing people to be their best with with criticism or constructive criticism a lot of people aren't handling that well anymore right a lot of young players coming up don't handle conflict well or being yelled at well they just sort of like shell up and i that's the thing that i'm worried not worried about but i'm wondering how managers are going to handle that for the next generation of of footballers yeah i mean alex ferguson arguably the best manager in the world he all his players will say that all the documentaries that i've watched and the books that i've read he's been the best person to person manager and that's like the key it seems and and it also looks like for example jose Mourinho. that's the sort of thing that seemed to look like it break it broke down like he didn't really from an outside outsider's perspective, it didn't seem like he was very personal. Yeah, it was just very much like this is what I'm doing, and that's it. And he and it wasn't. I mean, obviously, I wasn't in the team, so I can't speak for them. But just from an outsider's perspective, that's what it seemed like the case was. Well, I think Jose Mourinho always showed that he 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 played favorites, and yeah. that's a hard thing in a team when you have right. clear yeah, favorites yeah, yeah. because then logic sort of goes out the window where mm-hmm. like you could have a great performance but in his eyes it wasn't good enough and he seems to actually motivate teams for a while and then that he never sort of bends with them yeah it just sort of burns out right it was like yeah. two seasons always that or two and a half seasons in where he'd win something in the middle and then he'd sort of burn that bridge by the end of it but pep guardiola is a guy too that seems to really really get into the minds of his players yeah. and really really care about them as people and as an ego manager these are the biggest egos in the world and somehow he constantly performs not necessarily in champions league yet mm. uh with with city but constantly gets them to perform at the highest level um that an almost perfect uh liverpool couldn't couldn't take him down this year have you watched the man city documentary i have yeah it's great isn't it it's amazing it's incredible my only criticism of it is that i would have loved to see that come out in three years when the storylines died a little bit because yeah. it came out so quickly that and they're the biggest team that you sort of knew a lot of them if you followed it. Mm. The Sunderland one, that's the one I really, really like because yeah. I didn't know a lot of what was going on. Yeah. But the Man City one was amazing. Very sort of like hard knocks or NFL films like that we have in the US. Yeah. Just like fly on the wall of all biggest moments. And you just get to see a lot of sort of the reality of of, of how much work goes into building a winning a winning squad. Yeah, because so we're not really used to that in the UK. Like these documentaries have only sort of started to come around in the last couple of years. Very sort of 
like you said, almost American-style documentary. But mm-hmm. for me, they're amazing because yeah. I've never been given an insight into a Premier League team before, the way that they have done it. And even the Man City documentary, like, I'm, a, I'm an Arsenal fan, I'm a diehard gooner, but halfway through the documentary, I was like, felt like I was like jeering them on, you know what I mean? Yeah. I was like, kind of like, go on. Like, but I'm just like, when I step back, I'm like, hang on a minute. Mate, remember where you stand. You're an Arsenal fan, you're not a Man City <laughs> fan, but you just get in, if you love sport, that's right. it. If you love sport, you just get into it. But that is the phase we are in as the modern football fan now, right? Is yeah. that the idea of that documentary humanizing everyone, yeah. making them so you'd no longer see them as Man City and your arsenal. You see them as people that mm. play for this club. Yeah. And whether that club is your rival or somebody you shouldn't like, it humanizes them in a sense that you you start to care about them. as you, they, they become humans. They become people. They become your peers, your friends, they have similar interests to the things that you do. And that's what's important about all that and bringing sort of fan culture and and uh, what happens within the clubs and in the leagues and, and with the players uh, closer than ever before. Yeah, I've, there was one point in the documentary which I thought was really cool when company goes to um, his wife, sorry, yeah, his wife's dad. So what's that? So he'll be the son-in-law's um, house, right? But he's a, he's a Mancunian and he's also... A Manchester United fan and they're just sat in the middle of this house like in the middle of Manchester watching this United game with company sitting on his sofa who's the captain of City and he and he is his like father-in-law sat in there with a United shirt on and it's just like a very humanizing moment yeah. it was really interesting it was really cool to watch Copenhagen spent uh some of uh last summer with Man City on tour mm. and they do such a good job of yeah, they're, they're superstars and, and they're, they're hard to get access to, but they were all like, especially the younger players coming through now. These are like digital, digitally native yeah. kids coming into the first team or playing in the first team. They were just normal people. They liked gaming. They liked music. They were making fun of each other. It was just a very natural thing that they're allowing players to sort of like, I don't want to get you into my system and then change you. In a lot of ways, what they what they have at Barcelona, right? Which is like you come in and you conform to the system where you don't work out at Barcelona. Right. Now the next wave is like just be yourself, which is the difference sort of between Real Madrid and Barcelona, which is like team first and this is like individual first and then fit within the team of like superstars. It was just really cool to see them allowing these players to sort of build their brands and be themselves and be humans and be kids because a lot of them are like 18 to 20 and don't yeah. know anything yet. Yeah. I mean, they're multimillionaires now, but they're still just trying to be kids. Yeah, and, and they're still finding themselves. Yeah. Like, um, I mean, I'm only 27, but when I was 18, I didn't know what the fuck was going on. I was just like doing doing things I like to do, and yeah. that was it, you know what I mean? And, and the, there's such an age difference from even in those like short, what, like nine years, you're a completely different person. You're not totally. the same person that you were when you're 18. So imagine being that being 18 and being on a pitch in front of 45,000 people and earning like ridiculous amounts of money per week. I mean, don't feel sorry for you because that sounds great. But at the same time, it's a lot of pressure to try and be the person that you are naturally. Right. We've got another inside score. And this time it's for Germany. Like they do in every tournament they enter, two-time World Cup winners Germany go into France as one of the firm favourites and won't return happy unless the trophy comes with them. Ranked second in the world for a reason, on every corner of the pitch, they're loaded with talent who are used to not just competing, but winning. From Wolfsburg goalkeeper Almut Schutt, fresh off the back of defending her side's Bundesliga title, to her club teammate Alexandra Popp in midfield, who boasts two Women's Champions Leagues, four Bundesliga titles and five German Cups, to of course, 
Zenifer Morozen, who at 23 captained Germany to gold at Rio 2016 and in May scored the opener for her Lyon side's third Champions League win in a row. Inside, Inside score. But here's what you really need to know. Whilst much of the German squad will enter the tournament brimming with confidence from their successful club achievements this season, the players would still be wise to enter France 2019 with a sense of trepidation off the back of recent events in the camp. Whilst the ever-increasing culture of rapidly hiring and firing coaches has become the norm in the world of modern football, the German women's national team has been something of a refreshing exception, where from 1982 all the way to 2016, only three different managers have taken the reins of Die Frauen Nationalmannschaft. Most notably was the beloved Sylvia Nied, the godmother of German football, who as a player with Germany, won the European Women's Championships three times in succession, reached the final of the 1995 Women's World Cup, and famously scored one minute into her international debut. Taking on the role of assistant coach shortly after retirement, Nied held the number two job for nine years before smoothly transitioning into the head coaching role for an astonishing 11 years, where she led Germany to everything there was to win, from Olympic gold to multiple Euro Cups and of course, the 2007 World Cup. In July 2016, when the three times FIFA World Coach of the Year decided to step down, the role was passed on to former Germany international Steffi Jones, who herself had 111 caps for the national team, the majority of which came under Nide's tutelage. However, the appointment didn't turn out as inspired as the previous three, where cause for Jones' head arose only a year into her tenure after the Germans relinquished their 22-year grasp on the Euros with an unthinkable exit in the quarterfinals of Euro 2017. But the DFB stuck by their woman and their long-term methods, insisting Jones was the right person for the job. But after a disastrous start to 2019 Women's World Cup qualifying, which saw the Germans lose to Iceland at home, followed by a winless bottom place finish at the 2018 She Believes Cup, the writing was on the wall and Jones was relinquished of her duties. With DFB President Reinhard Grindel stating, the team needed a new direction. And in an ironic twist, only months later, that same man who cited a need for new direction, then German FA President Reinhard Grindel, himself is out of a job, on the back of an embarrassingly chaotic two years in charge of German football that has seen all manners of chaos. And so ironically, it's the German women's team, back on track with new boss Martina Voss-Tecklenburg and automatic qualification of France, who have become the beacon of light in dark times for the German game. So yeah, Germany versus Spain coming up today. Um, I think Germany are going to nick three points against Spain. Spain had a very controversial first penalty in their game against South Africa. And talking about penalties, I have a question to ask you, yes. Heath. Um, penalties in the States used to be taken differently. Yeah. And if anyone doesn't know, Google it or YouTube it. And basically what would happen is you would start where with the ball? It wasn't penalties in the States. It was in MLS when it first started. Okay, yeah. Um, and I think you started about 35 meters out and you had five seconds, a lot like a hockey, yeah, um, like a hockey penalty, penalty yeah. which was like a dribble up shootout, which only happened if the teams drew, you would go to penalties so that there was always a team that won. Right, okay. It was really, fun. I, I remember I was- as a kid going and it was really fun to watch, right? I, I didn't have anything to compare it to. But in terms of like American entertainment, yeah. it, was, it, was, it was great. It was amazing. I mean, it does look very entertaining. But my question was going to be, did you ever have to take one of those? <laughs> I remember going to regional camp, right? So if you, with my state team, you go to regional camp. And if yeah. you drew, so you played against the other states, their best 18, right? And if you drew it in a match against them, you did the shootout. And I remember doing it. I was uh, playing 
for the Oregon State team at the time because I lived in Oregon for a few years when I was younger. And I remember doing one. It was quite fun. <laughs> I scored. Fun. Yeah, accidental like Meg of the keeper. I was trying to go around the keeper, but just went through the legs and scored. Do you have like a certain amount of time that you have to do I think it it's like five seconds or something like That's that. Yeah. Okay. And I don't think you, can, you can't go backwards. So like right. it's forward progress constantly. But can I ask you something? Yeah, go on. Why do you guys give us, you guys, <laughs> you, you people in the United Kingdom, uh, give us such stick for staying PKs? Um, yeah, we also give you sticks for saying offsides. Yeah, I, I get that one because that's just wrong. But like PKs, you guys had no problem calling them pens. You guys, yeah. are, you guys I mean, love to call them pens. Isn't it? Yeah, it's abbreviation. But I know like Bob Bradley did an interview when he was coach of uh, Swansea. Swansea, yeah. and he said PKs and like it got absolutely like yeah. just absolutely crushed for it. And I hear a lot of people say it, and now. It's been so ingrained to me that it's wrong from, from, from the arguments that I've heard. When I hear somebody else say PKs, I'm like, ooh. Do you know what? Do you know why I think? We're just yeah. arseholes. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's, that's fair. I think that's Because we also have the thing where people like, sometimes when people are like too positive, and American, a lot of American people are like super posy in, yeah. com- in comparison to like UK people. Yeah. And a lot of UK people are like, oh God. And it's like, well, actually... Actually, they're just being positive. Yeah. And like, maybe we should try and take a leaf out of their book a little bit. Yeah. Like, it's not that bad. Like, when I come back from the States, if I go on, on tour in the States, I come back, I'm like high-fiving everyone, yeah. mate. I'm like, good morning, high-five. I yeah. get well into it. So, yeah. yeah. Anyway, you got some numbers, numbers for me? Yeah, I do. I've got just two for today. Uh, 57%. <sighs> 57%. Um, I don't know. Is it something to do with score lines or? It has to do with football. I mean, that's <laughs> not score lines though. No, it okay, is uh, the minimum amount of possession by a team uh, in any of the matches. So it's been a very dominant possession uh, per match so far in the World Cup. 57% yeah. being the minimum. It's been extremely dominant up to like, I think like 70% yesterday with Canada or something like that. That's interesting. Um, two. This is the only other one. This is a random one. Uh but uh do i get a clue Go on, give me a um it's 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 team and world cup related is it the amount of world cups that a team a, cert, a certain team is yes right? okay guess a team is it america no. how many times have you won the world cup no it's not Sorry. won the world cup it's it's the amount of times a team has been in the world oh, cup. been in the world yeah. cup okay fine um, US has won three times, by the way, humble brag. We're going for four. <laughs> just look at the shorts on the players, three stars. Oh, is that what that yeah. is? Oh, right, okay. Because oh, usually yeah. it's on the it's on the in top of the badge yeah. on the shirt, but you yeah. guys have put it on the shorts. They I put it on the shorts, yeah, yeah it's really cool. cool. And they yeah, brought back the, the the old big like Nike crest, uh Nike swoosh from the 99ers team, which that's is kind cool. of a great throwback. Yeah, um cool. but yeah, uh not to so avoid twice. Yeah, twice. Only twice. Two World Cups. This is our second World Cup. Um God. I have no idea. I'm going to just throw it out there and say Italy. That could be correct, but it's not. Cameroon. Ah, okay. Yeah. Cool. Featured two times in the World Cup. There you yeah. go. So, so this that's is their second. Yeah, this is their second one. Right. Yeah. Okay. But uh, that is all I have for you in terms of uh, a day in numbers. So that's it for today's Football Inside Out. We will be back tomorrow. So make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast or wherever you listen to your podcast so you never miss an episode. And if you enjoyed it, leave us a review. But don't do what that one person just did and leave us a three-star. We know what they're doing. <laughs> it's That's the only one. Yeah. 
leave us five stars uh, and subscribe to the daily newsletter as well that's going out during the tournament head to copa90.com forward slash wc19 and click or tap on copa90 france daily to sign up uh, if you want to get in touch we'd love to hear from you just email us or send us a voice note to football inside out at copa90.com and tweet us using the hashtag hashtag copa90 inside out and we will see you tomorrow bye bye copa90 football inside out Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com, code GLOW.